Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you out this morning on this Advent weekend. Uh, To those joining us online, a special welcome to you from wherever you happen to be joining us from in the world today. uh, Glad you could be with us. Over this Advent season, we're into a series called Christmas Voices. Uh, Last week we began as Pastor Chris talked about the voices of the prophets and how we encounter Jesus and how people through the Christmas story, when they encounter Jesus, always had something to say. Even if not right away, this encounter with Jesus, this encounter with this one who had come, Emmanuel, God with us, always created a reaction. We're going to continue in that this morning by, in, by meeting a character in the Christmas story that some of you may have heard of and some of you may have not. But before we do that, would you join me in prayer as we look into God's word together? Our Father, I pray that you'd speak to us in the stillness and in the quietness. Of our own hearts, would you still us even now? Pray that over even this time, there'd be this reconciliation happening in our hearts between, between what we've said and sung, what we've, what we've prayed and what we've read. That you would reconcile that within us and make that true about who we are. And so now we give ourselves, Jesus, to worshiping you through the the choice to learn, the choice to teach, and in that, God, you would be glorified. Pray that in Jesus' name together. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. He had no idea. He had no idea what was happening. I mean, one moment, he was going about his business, performing his assigned duties, and the next... He was startled by a presence and gripped with fear. He thought he was alone. He really did. When he came in there, he thought he was alone, but evidently he was not. It's, it's not that he hadn't been afraid before. I mean, he had lived under a shadow of fear most of his life. I mean, so much to be afraid of. Fear about the present reality of living under the weight of oppression and violence. Fear about the future that deliverance and freedom would never, ever really come. I mean, he used to be afraid that God wouldn't hear his prayer about becoming a dad. But it had become obvious that both he and his wife were beyond that age that people could become parents. Still, the quiet fear of people's opinions about them plagued his heart. Worse, he and his wife didn't deserve any of it. They had lived upright and good lives. There was no sin that they needed to be punished for. So why did it feel like they were being afflicted for wrongdoing? I mean, in his time and in his culture, to be childless was a disgrace and a shame that you carried with you wherever you went. Children, children were the promise that you would be cared for in your old age. I mean, what were him and his wife supposed to do? He wouldn't be able to work forever. Then what? The shame of not having a child would only compound if they were left destitute. They had lived good and upright lives. What could he possibly do? So much to be afraid of. And how long was he supposed to keep hoping and praying and longing for some kind of a response from God? At some point, maybe reality needs to set in and you've got to come to terms with the fact 
that maybe God has decided not to act after all. Maybe God had changed his mind about setting people free and providing a way of salvation. Maybe God wasn't interested in doing the impossible anymore. For his nation, for the people, for him. So much to be afraid of. And then it happened. Something that he had never even thought about being afraid of before. Happened to him. You see this man, a man named Zechariah, the old man, who along with his wife Elizabeth had no child, the man living in a time of political and religious turmoil, the man who had every reason to be afraid of all sorts of things. This man, Zechariah, was a priest of God in the days when Rome ruled over Israel with an iron fist about 2,000 years ago. He lived at a time when hope was in short supply and to dream of deliverance was always just a setup for disappointment. His story can be found in the first chapter of the book of Luke in the Bible. Now for Zechariah, being a priest was kind of like the family business. To be born into a certain tribe in Israel means that you would be a priest. You didn't really have much choice. And your life would be devoted to carrying out the religious and ceremonial obligations that were essential to the worship of God at the time. Now, most of the time, this Zechariah was serving in the hill country away from the central place of worship at the temple in Jerusalem. Most of the time, Zechariah is in the rural, in the rural place, removed from the activity, chaos, grandeur of the temple. He's a rural guy. Except that as we are introduced to him in the biblical text, Zechariah had traveled from the outskirts to Jerusalem and was serving at the temple. I mean, he'd been called up from the miners to the big leagues. And this would have been an incredibly huge moment in Zechariah's life. You see, there were about 18,000 priests serving in Israel at the time of Zechariah. These 18,000 priests were divided into 24 divisions that held responsibility for religious life. Now, to serve at the temple was such a big deal that each division of 24 would take turns serving there. So out of those about 18,000 priests, about 750 of them would be in and around the temple at any given time. Now, the priesthood, like most jobs in an organization, have particular positions that hold significant prestige or honor within that structure. Most people want those promotions. Lawyers want to become partners at the firm. Professors want tenure. Hockey players want to play for the Oilers. It's just (laughs) a privilege that so few get to experience. I thought I was going to get booed, actually. That's pretty good. Thank you, thank you. Well, for priests in Zechariah's time, there was one thing that everyone wanted a chance to do. To be chosen, I mean, this doesn't sound like much to us, maybe. To be chosen to burn incense near the most holy place of the temple was a supreme honor. I mean, out of all the priests on duty, one would be chosen by casting lots to perform a ceremony. And it could only happen once in your life. Once you were chosen, you did it once. You offered the prayers of the people. It would be be you and God in the representative place of his presence. It would be you and God bringing the prayers of God's people, lighting the incense, and offering the prayers of repentance, forgiveness, mercy, provision. You held the prayers of God's people for him. 
you would go alone into the entrance of the most holy place, near the entrance of the most holy place, and burn the incense as a representation of the prayers of the people to God. I mean, that was the job. Zechariah had never been chosen before. He'd been waiting his whole life for things to roll in his favor. And he never really had. Things were about to change for him. On the day that Zechariah was at the temple, the lot was cast. And against all odds, he was chosen to burn the incense of prayer. I mean, monumental day in his life. And so at the appointed time, Zechariah made his way up the steps of the temple. You can imagine the people gathered outside in worship, waiting for their prayers to be taken in, right to the entrance of the most holy place. The people, the, the crowds, the multitudes waiting outside, and Zechariah gets chosen to take their prayers to God. And all eyes would have been fixed on him as he makes his way up the steps toward the temple. And I can just imagine Zechariah saying to himself, don't trip on the robe, don't trip on the robe of all times, just please don't trip on the robe. I mean, the whole community stood waiting for him to enter into the holy place and bring their prayers to God. He walks through the doors, and all the clamor outside gave way to the reverence and the stillness inside. Each step brought him closer to a lifelong dream being fulfilled. He hadn't had much success with longings being realized before. This day, this day was already different. He knew what to do. He had rehearsed the movements thousands of times in his mind for that one time that maybe the lot would go in his favor. That day he had brought the burning coals from the altar of sacrifice outside the temple and now made his final steps to the altar of incense. He set the coals down in their place and gently, methodically set the incense on top of them. The aroma began to rise and he closed his eyes in prayer as the smoke gently stung his nose. He took a long, deep breath and began to offer his prayer. Then, without even opening his eyes, he sensed he wasn't alone. He stood, not wanting to move or to look, like a child at night, scared of the dark, who pulls the blankets over their heads, just praying that whatever's there is just going to go away. Zechariah, convinced his mind must be playing tricks on him. Yet when he couldn't stand it any longer, he slowly opened his eyes and... <gasps> there to the right side of the altar stood an angel. Angel. Immediately, Zechariah was gripped with fear and began to tremble. He wanted to yell, but no sound could escape. You've had that happen where you're so terrified that the sound gets here and won't go any further. The angel looked at Zechariah and said boldly, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. <laughs> Don't be afraid? Really? That's your opening line? Easy for you to say. Anyway, wait, how do you know my name? Hold on, hold on. My prayer has been heard? Which prayer? And I've been praying for all sorts of things for a long time. Which one? Do you mean the prayers I'm just offering now for the people outside and for our forgiveness? I mean, what's this all about? Before Zechariah could pose any of his questions, the angel said to him, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you're to call him John. He'll be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. 
Now he's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Your son, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wait, wait. My wife and I are going to have a child? And not only that, you're telling me that I need to name the boy John. Well, wait, wait a minute. That name, that name means um, the Lord is gracious. The, the, the Lord is pouring out favor. Why would we name him that? Hold on, this son of mine, what, what's he going to do? He's supposed to, get us, he's supposed to get us ready for the Messiah? The boy I don't have yet is going to usher in the time of deliverance and salvation that we've all been waiting for for centuries. I mean, now, now's the time. Back to the start. My wife and I are going to have a baby? Really? I mean, Zechariah stumbled over the very thought. And this springs out of his heart. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old, I'm an old man, and my wife, well, she's well along in years. I mean, how could Zechariah be sure of anything? Did he really want to risk abandoning his heart to the promise of God? I mean, what if God didn't come through? He could not imagine opening up wells of hope in his heart that had been shut for so long only to be disappointed, be wounded by disappointment again. How can I be sure of this? I need more than your word. I need more than a promise. My faith is so frail and I'm so afraid. There's so many things to be afraid of. You say don't be afraid, but the thought of surrendering unhindered to serving God scares me. It terrifies me. I mean, to really surrender and to give myself to do that, I would need to believe in the core of my being that God is good. How can I be sure of this? The angel heard Zechariah's question and said to him, I am Gabriel. Stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Hey, uh, Zechariah, you're going to stop talking now and you're going to watch what God can do when everything seems impossible. I've brought you good news and now you've got about, oh, the next nine months or so to figure out how you'd like to respond to the truth. That your son is going to make way for the Messiah and that this Messiah, God in the flesh, will fulfill every promise of God. Zechariah, think about what you'd like to say because round one has not gone so well here. But I'm going to give you another chance. Outside, everyone was waiting for Zechariah to come out and pronounce the blessing. I mean, that's how this all was supposed to end. He's supposed to come out and speak over the congregation. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. That's what they're expecting. Zechariah is taking a little longer than usual and people starting to worry. Zechariah finally emerges from the temple. He came out, but he couldn't say anything or explain what had just happened. And it was at this moment that the most challenging game of charades ever began. He had to communicate something to the people. He somehow had to communicate with gestures the reality of his situation. Here's what he had to tell them just with body language. 
I've seen an angel beside the altar of incense. And the angel told me that my wife and I are going to have a child and that our child will prepare the way for the Messiah. Ready, go. Like, what do you do? The Bible goes on to tell us that Zechariah went back home after indicating somehow, you know, he'd seen an angel and like there's a vision. Something happened here. You're flying. We don't know what's going on. The Bible goes on to tell us that Zechariah went back home and exactly what the angel had said would happen came to pass. Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant and had a personal experience of the Lord being gracious to her. And for all those months, Zechariah was unable to speak and most likely couldn't hear either. The time eventually came for Elizabeth to give birth and a son was born to her and to Zechariah. All the friends and relatives were anxious to know the name of the child and when when Elizabeth said, his name is John, the whole place was confused. I mean, names always follow family lines and there was not one ancestor or relative with that name, John. That's weird. I mean, there had to be a mistake. So they go to the dad. Zechariah, what should the, na- what should the boy's name be? What are you going to name your son? Zechariah Jr.? Something like that? Years and years of living in fear and disappointment, scared to hope, terrified to believe. After everything being the same for so long, Zechariah wanted everyone to know that God right now was initiating a brand new thing. New names, new miracles, new confidence. Fear had gotten the best of Zechariah before, but not this time. The words of the angel rang in the quietness of Zechariah's world. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Zechariah took a writing tablet and wrote with his finger, His name is John. And every time his name is spoken, we will remember that the Lord is gracious and his favor is being poured out on us right now in our day and in our time. And as the last letter was written, John, suddenly Zechariah's mouth was opened and he had something to say. After holding on to the good news for months that the Messiah was going to be born in his time and bring deliverance and forgiveness and peace and that he, the frightened priest of all people, was invited to play a part in God's plan to redeem the whole world. I mean, now he had something to say. The Bible tells us that Zechariah erupted into a song of praise. He prophesied and said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. I mean, he hasn't spoken for more than nine months, and the first word out of his mouth isn't how, it's praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. What a song. And God has come to redeem us through the Messiah. And because of his presence with us, we can now serve God without fear. It's the core of Zechariah's prayer. It's the core of his praise. It's the core of his song. Now because of Jesus, now because of the Messiah, now we can serve God without fear. 
Emmanuel, God with us, has come. And we don't have to walk in trepidation and insecurity anymore. Because Jesus the Messiah has come. The one thing you will hear time and again through the voices of Christmas is this. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. In Jesus, we have victory over everything that seeks to scare us into complacency, into apathy, or into isolation. I mean, this is the truth that Zechariah awoke to as he considered all that the angel had told him. Church, can you hear the voice of a priest named Zechariah this Advent weekend? Can you hear what he's wanting us to hear? Listen to what God is saying through him. You can serve God without fear. Why? Why would this Messiah make such a difference? Well, because of Jesus, all service of God is a serving with, not just for. God doesn't stand at a distance and say, serve me, please me, make me happy with you. No, he is the God that invites us to participate with him in the things that will set us free and give God the glory. And that's what Zechariah's story is teaching us. God is not the God who is far away saying, make me happy with you. He's the God that steps into our time, into our place, who puts on skin and walks among us and says, now let's link arms and let's go change the world. This means that when God invites you to a new adventure of faith with him, fear doesn't have to make the decision anymore. Fear doesn't get to make the decision about whether to follow God into the unknown or not. I think there are so many of us that have stalled or stagnated in our walk with Jesus because fear has held us back from that courageous step of obedience that we know God is calling us to take. There may be a legitimate desire to live our lives in service to God, but every time we reach the point where we need to relinquish control and trust that God is good, trust that he will provide, trust that he will make a way, I mean, doesn't fear just start shouting all kinds of scenarios that cause us to question God's love and care for us? We so often hold back. I so often hold back and I say, God, I think you're calling me to this, but how can I be sure? God, I think I need more than your word. God, I think I need more than your promise. God, maybe I think I even need more than your presence. God, would you give me a sign? Would you write something on the wall? Would you make this piece of wool wet on one side and dry on the other? God, I need more than your word. How can I be sure that this is what you're calling me to do? Fear creeps up, starts to speak, starts to yell, and we start to think that we need more than the promises of God and his presence with us to live courageously. Well, what if we did it different here this weekend at Rexdale Alliance Church? What if we decided that we were going to agree with Zechariah instead of agreeing with the voice of fear? I mean, what if our voices resounded with the truth that because of Jesus, you can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of your days? Why? Because he's with you. He is the God that is with us. You think about ways. That God may be inviting you to serve him without fear. The thing that God is inviting you, has been prompting you toward, that maybe you've been resisting lately. You know those thoughts when you're lying in bed at night and staring at the ceiling and those last few thoughts about the ought to's and the should's and if if only I could's. What did you come in carrying this morning? 
that maybe for a long time, maybe a short time, whatever it is, for however long, you've been sensing a prompting of God to serve him in some way. But fear is yelling at you not to. Telling you you need more. You need more assurance. You need more than God. You need more than his promises. You need something else. So just wait until it's all worked out, and then you can follow God. I mean, what scenarios have we been building up in our minds that really are just a false reality to keep us from obedience to God? I wonder how many of us in serving God, we've been called to address a relational issue and have a tough conversation with someone. And you know that God is asking you to serve him by being transparent in a relationship and saying things aren't well between us. But you resist because of how the person might react, what the fallout might be, all those sorts of things. And yet God says, you're forgetting that I'm with you and I've promised to be your strength. And that I can empower you to live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. And yet the fear of reaction and what the person might do keeps you from serving God without fear. And fear is saying, forget about the reconciliation thing, it doesn't matter. wonder how many of us are being called to a new adventure of generosity. We kind of sit over our bank statements this month and we're wondering, God, I don't know why you're doing this right now in this season, but why are you, why do you, why do I feel like you're calling me to, to give and to be generous, to figure out what it means to be fully generous and rich toward you? I don't get what that means. And you're feeling the prompting of the spirit towards serving the poor. And getting God's money into circulation for the kingdom. But you hold back and you say, you know, we could do this. We could take this financial risk for God. We could do that. But how can I be sure it's going to work out? How can I be sure? God, give me more than your promise. Give me more than your presence. And so we pause. We hesitate. Maybe God's been calling you to take a a courageous step in sharing your faith with someone. You're absolutely terrified about how it will all go and what they'll think of you and what if I don't have the answers to the questions and you hear God saying, tell this person your story. I'm trying to love this person through you. I want to love this person through through you. Would you tell them your story? Well, God, just promise me it's going to work out okay. Just promise me that you know they're going to you know fall to their knees, raise their hands, and all that stuff. That's how it's going to go. Just give me the outcome. And yet you sense God saying, would you step into the unknown with me? You have my promise. You have my presence. It's all you need. I wonder if for some of us right now, serving God without fear means sacrificing your preferences in some area that is important to you and laying down your rights for the sake of someone else. And serving God by saying, I don't have to get my way. It doesn't have to be how I want it in whatever area. And yet holding to your preferences has been something that we've done our whole lives. And there's a certain way we want things. And we spiritualize it. And we make it just fit us just right. And the thought of serving God by relinquishing our rights on stuff scares us. Maybe God is calling you to love an enemy and bless someone who has hurt you. It's hard. And you're just so afraid of what might happen if you truly forgive. Maybe for some, you sense God calling you to be baptized. And the whole thought of getting soaking wet up in front of a group of people and sharing a testimony nearly makes you run for the exit doors. 
And yet you can't escape the fact that for maybe weeks and months, maybe years, you've been watching people get baptized time and time again. And the prompting on your heart has always been, it's time to get baptized. It's time to follow. And fear is saying, well, you got to be sure. You got to be better. I mean, you still have that sin issue. You know, you're not perfect yet. And God's saying, you have me and you have my promise that you're forgiven and free. It's time to get in the water. What would it look like to serve God without fear by being baptized? Maybe for some, it's just choosing to follow Jesus and surrender your life to him for the first time. Maybe you've been standing on the brink of faith, knowing that God is calling you into a relationship with him, a relationship of love and mercy and forgiveness, and you just stand there saying, well, how can I be sure? How can I be sure that if I step into the unknown with God that he's really going to catch me? What if I really have to let go and relinquish the lordship of my life and take off the controls? I mean, what if, what if God was there for everybody else, but he's not there for me? And you're standing in a moment right now in this room where those joining us online, where you are struggling so deeply about whether to give your life to Christ and surrender control when the truth is really with life in our control, it's not going that great anyhow. You're wondering about giving God a chance. I think every one of us as followers of Jesus or those on the journey with God, every single one of us in one way or another this morning are standing on the edge of something, thinking about stepping into the place with God where we've never been before. And you know it's God when your heart starts to beat fast and your palms get sweaty because you know God is inviting you to join Him in something that is bigger than you. And the question really becomes, what would be happening in your life with God right now if you weren't afraid? What would be happening in your life right now if you weren't afraid? What would serving him in my life look like if I didn't have all this fear stuff I was giving into all the time? What would be happening in your life with God right now if fear wasn't making any of the decisions? Think about it. This church, this is so critical. This is so critical because this fear thing that diminishes us, that holds us back, that tells us to play it safe, that is so contagious. We think it's just affecting us. It's not. It affects the whole church. Fear is contagious within a community of faith. And we're called to live on the edge with God and step into the unknown with Him all the time when churches decide that when the call, the courageous calls of God come is to play it safe, to hold back, to do what's predictable. All we do is communicate to those in our church and those around us that really life is better with us in control. I mean, this is so critical because fear isn't just contagious within a community. Fear is contagious generationally. Fear gets passed from grandparents to parents to kids and grandkids. It just keeps getting passed along. I mean, when we have a generation of people that are always coming behind us, what is that generation that's coming behind us seeing about our faith and fear thing? Because here's what I think happens so often. The generation ahead is worried about the generation behind not following Jesus, you know, getting caught up in all sorts of bad stuff that's harmful. And we think that just like one more Bible study or dragging them to church is going to be the answer. When really, here's what I think it is. The generation coming behind needs to see the generation ahead living by faith and not fear. The generation behind that's coming ahead needs to see the generation ahead of them walking in the ways of God 
And this adventure, this thing that is so incredibly exciting and joy-filled when you live on the edge with God. Because right now, the world, the enemy, is trying to tell a narrative of excitement to a generation to say this is a better life. And so when they hold up those two lives, they say, you know, walk the way of the world that's so exciting. You know, there's so much enticement there. And then we hold up the gospel and say, yeah, this is the play it safe one. This is the, by the end of your life, make sure you've gone to church and have paid off your mortgage. I mean, what are you going to sign up for? Fear is so generationally contagious. But I think when the generation behind sees a generation living by faith, walking in the ways of God, making those courageous, bold steps, taking those risks, taking God at his word, it becomes so enticing. It becomes so appetizing that anything the world has to offer pales in comparison. When we water down the gospel, when we weaken the gospel so it fits within our parameters, instead of allowing God to blow the doors off of our lives and live with reckless abandon to Him, I mean, when that's not happening, we're telling the generation to choose another way of life, choose a better story that's more exciting. When really, the most compelling, most exciting, most adventure-filled life is the one that has lived in faith with God. So here's the good news. You know, the good news is that fear isn't the only thing that's contagious. When a group of people like this get fired up to serve God, to be in step with the Spirit, to live with a reckless abandon for His glory, it really changes lives and redeems communities and ultimately transforms the world. And for me, that's the narrative of faith that I want to pass on to my kids. I want them to sit around their dinner table someday and say, do you remember the day when Dad decided or we decided to take that step, to make that move? We had no idea what was going to happen and God showed up. Isn't that the narrative of faith that we want to pass on to the generations coming behind us? And it can start today. It starts this week by facing the very thing, that very step that you're so afraid to take. And knowing that you have God's presence, you have his prompting, you have his promises. You step in. You step in. You walk by faith. You make that hard call. You have that hard conversation. And you come to find that the God who has been faithful every single time to every single person has been faithful again. And he has met you. He has provided for you. He has loved you. He has supported you. He has surrounded you. It changes your story. It changes the narrative. We can do this, church. Not because we've got all sorts of gifts and powers and everything else like that. We do this because Emmanuel, God with us, has come. And he says, I am with you when you step into the unknown. He's already there. I'm going to invite our worship team to come. And they're going to lead us in a closing song. But as they do... Would you pause with me in prayer? And we'll just take a moment to consider what God is saying to us. Father, I get, I get the fear thing. Man, dominated by fear in so many ways. And yet today in my heart and in the hearts of your church and those joining us online, we want to choose differently. God, when your call comes, when your invitation to something incredible and life-changing comes, God, keep us from the question, how, how can we be sure? Instead, give us the words of Zechariah, that says, praise be to the Lord God who has come to set us free. 
God, we confess as your church today that with your promises and with your presence, with you, Jesus, you are all we need. And so we will step into the unknown. What is unknown to us is fully known to you, and we will trust you. You will be our Lord. You will be our leader. And we choose this day to walk by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's your challenge for the week. I want you to ask God to show you one way that you can serve him without fear. And then tell someone about it and ask them to pray with you. Say, here's the thing I need to do. Here's the thing. Here's the faith step I've been resisting. And I'm going to step in and you have someone walk with you in it. Are you willing to do that? Take the one step that you know God has been calling you to take. However big or small it seems to you. Get with somebody. Have them pray with you and for you. And let's see what kind of faith steps are unleashed in our church and in our community. And for those wherever you happen to live online uh, this week. Would you stand with us as we continue in worship?